It's worth knowing what's really going on. This is the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Welcome to the latest episode of our new podcast, Go Atlanta, from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. I'm the AJC's arts and entertainment editor, Shane Harrison. We're here every Thursday to introduce you to the most interesting people, places, and things to do in and around Atlanta. This is the podcast to get you ready for the weekend. I'm food dining and living editor Lagaya Figueres, and I'm here to tell you where you can find Polish, Laotian, and Taiwanese-American cuisine under one roof. I'm Rodney Ho, entertainment reporter, and I'll take you on a sleigh ride with Debbie Gibson. And we'll also have a special guest this weekend, Bo Emerson. Welcome, Bo. Thanks so much, Shane. And he'll be telling us about one of the city's most venerable dive bars, which is the subject of a new documentary that marks its 50th anniversary. Well, they say it's, it's, it's like the world's greatest dive bar. I guess it's got the reputation of being, you know, one of the country's best dive bars. It's been spoken about online. It's the diviest place in Atlanta. If you're listening to this podcast on AJC.com, please take a moment to follow us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so you'll never miss an episode. This is Go Atlanta from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Donald Trump has been indicted in Atlanta. We have so many court dockets to follow, but we haven't really seen anything yet. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution has covered every moment of this historic case. I've been writing about this investigation for two and a half years. Our team is led by reporters Bill Rankin and Tamar Hallerman. Follow our coverage on AJC.com and listen to new in-depth episodes of the award-winning podcast, Breakdown, The Trump Indictment, only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. You all can learn something new by subscribing to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution's new newsletter called Unapologetically ATL. It's all about the people, the events, and the entertainment happening in Metro Atlanta that Black people might want to know about. So subscribe today at www.ajc.com slash unapologetically ATL. First up on this week's episode, we're going to talk about some of the week's hot topics. And uh, one thing that we have coming this Sunday is a story on Northside Tavern, which our very own Bo Emerson has done. Uh, It involves a documentary that celebrates the place's 50th anniversary, right? It also involved some very in-depth reporting, which required me to go to the North Side, and uh, I was willing to take that bullet for the rest of you guys. <laughs> yeah, I, it's funny. I was thinking, I haven't been there in ages. Well, uh, it's different now. Uh, yeah. For one thing, uh, there's no more smoking, yeah. and so when you leave the North Side, you do not have to stop in the garage and take your clothes off before you go in the house and then put them in the washing machine because that's the way it used to be. Now it's it's has one less grimy element to it. Yeah. Yeah, but but it's still probably pretty grimy, especially, I mean, considering where it is, it's in the midst of this all this new development and everything, and, and it's, it's... Yeah, it's, when it opened. There. There, what was there when it opened? There was really nothing there. It was a... Uh, there was a water processing plant up on Howell Mill. Uh, the King Plow uh, development was not a thing. Mean Street was not a thing. It was a the end of a mill village and a kind of a decaying blue-collar neighborhood. There used to be the Dixie Speedway around the corner, and, uh, hmm. and that had been gone for a while. And uh, 
what it looks like now is uh, astonishing if you compare it to 1972. It's now it's this isolated little cinder block pillbox in the middle of glass towers. It's almost a visual joke, but yeah. uh, the reason that it survives, uh, Rodney asked this question earlier, is that Butler Webb, who actually had a day job in the real estate office downtown Atlanta, Fulton County, bought what was a pool hall back in 72. And the family owns the building. It's like a 2,000 square foot carbuncle uh, right now uh, in, in the midst of what is called West Midtown. There was no West Midtown no. back then. And uh, he uh, he died in, in 93, and his daughter, Ellen Webb, took over the club, and she really made it what it is, Yeah, yeah. which is a, a live music venue that deserves uh, historic preservation. Yeah. And who's going to take up the uh, petitioning for the historic presentation? I think that's a good idea. <laughs> it is, especially in a place like Atlanta, where we we do tend to you know pave over our our history and and put up a new mixed use development. Where holy mackerel! I mean, look at Vinkman's <laughs> and the Star Bar has a, a one year lease on life, but that yeah. might be a you know limited. And the uh, MJQ, what's going to happen to that? Well, we're yeah. going to get to yeah, that. I think Joni Mitchell should redo her lyrics a little bit, right? So <laughs> That's right. Instead of a parking lot, it's a mixed-use yeah. development, right? Exactly. <laughs> Pay Paradise and put up a mixed-use development. It doesn't quite roll off the tongue. No, but. it doesn't. That's true. But yeah, it, and now um, there's a documentary about it, and uh, it, it sounds pretty cool. It's like maybe maybe that'll help with its preservation. I would like to see that happen. It's a great documentary made by a very clever fellow named Hal Jacobs. Uh, uh, totally independent, produced over the last year. He interviewed more than a 50 people, musicians, uh, patrons, staff members. And it, it, as a documentary, it's, it tells the picture of the Northside Tavern, but it also tells a kind of a pocket-sized history of the blues in Atlanta, which has a great history mm-hmm. and goes back to Blind Willie McTell. And a lot of that history shows up one way or another at the north side. Right. Wait, what is, is Hal Jacobs here from Atlanta or what prompted him to want to take on this project? You know, he was, uh, he's done a variety of documentaries. He did one on the Hambage Center. He did one on an effort to provide college courses to uh, prison inmates. And uh, he was thinking of something to do during the uh, pandemic, he said. And he realized since nobody was going out how, what a kind of an endangered species places like the North Side were. And so he, he got started on it, and he said it was way richer than, than he thought it was going to be, just in terms of, of material. Yeah. Well, it's amazing how, I, you know, all of those, the old blues players and the young blues players sort of mixed there, and it, it created a sort of handing down of, of a tradition in many ways. Which uh, happens in, in places like New Orleans or Nashville or Chicago. Atlanta uh, hasn't got as many of those kinds of clubs. And, uh, um, and a lot of the, um, the, the fact that the Northside taps into some of the real elderly uh, first generation or their colleagues uh, kind of players and and musicians uh, was due to a fellow named Danny Dudek, uh, who goes by the name Mudcat. And he went out and found folks that were essentially out of work and convinced them to come to the North Side and play. And 
created a kind of a continuous stream of real blues originators uh, like Beverly Guitar Watson and Eddie Tigner and uh, uh, Albert White and people that, that a lot of these younger players revered and looked up to um, and that really learned from. And it created a, an unusual uh, collection there at the North Side. Yeah. And that's a great thing because as those people get older, we're, we're losing a lot of, of yeah. them. So, yeah. Well, that's great. And uh, like we said, the story is coming in this Saturday's Living and Art section. You can read that online now, actually, but check it out uh, in the Living and Art section on Sunday, December 11th. And you can hear uh, the beginning of the trailer uh, if you want to. We've got a little piece of tape you guys might want to listen to. Yeah, let's let's do that. Well, they say it's, it's, it's like the world's greatest dive bar. I guess it's got the reputation of being, you know, one of the country's best dive bars. It's been spoken about online. It's the diviest place in Atlanta. It's a real dive. It's a dive bar. It's a dive blues bar. So, you know, you might want to use the restroom someplace else before you get here, right? <laughs> okay, I want to speak up for the uh, fact that the north side is is more than just a dive bar. It's uh, <laughs> it's it, the diviest. Yeah, it, it's uh, it looks pretty sketchy. It's got the burglar bars on the exterior, and uh, especially compared to the you know to its now its neighbors, you know, which are all these polished glass buildings. But it it is a very uh, it's a very friendly place. Yeah. And um, uh, there's another uh, little bit of tape that we have that talks about how Danny Dudek found one of these players, Eddie Tigner, who'd had a uh, a long career playing with the Ink Spots and uh, playing uh, with Elmore James and it had basically quit playing music. And uh, Danny went out and found him and said, come over to the North Side and play. And he ended up collaborating for years with uh, a band called Uncle Sugar. And you'll hear some of the guys uh, from Uncle Sugar talking about playing with him and what an impact that he had on them. Tig say that he had quit playing music and then went and got him a regular job and everything. Then he was about to retire and, and Mud convinced him to get back on the piano and he took off like a rocket. Sometimes I would start a song and he would get off the stage and go sit at the bar, like when I started the song. And I would ask him, I'm like, man, you just don't like that song? And he said, I don't play in B natural. Don't like, you like, I don't even know what that means, man. <laughs> what a role model. Uh, played the Ink Spots for, for 30 years on the road. He would say that he'd seen every Holiday Inn in the country. You know, they basically, though, that's, that was the gig. And, you know, he, played with Elmore James back in the day. He was the guy. He was the connection. He liked to always say that uh, little Richard still owed him $400. Was that a funeral? <laughs> So that's a that's a fellow who has been uh, embedded in Atlanta music and and blues and really the whole country for a while and uh, the North Side brought it back to the ears of the of the people. Yeah, that's great. And we should also mention that it uh, part of what uh, Mudcat did was uh, hook them up with like the uh, music maker 
uh, is it called? I can't remember. Music Maker right. Relief Program, right? Which was started out as very, you know, basic paying for things like uh, dental care and health care and paying rent checks for uh, older musicians who were couldn't couldn't even afford a, right. a place to go, and then has expanded beyond that to actually put records out uh, that provided a little revenue stream for some of these uh, artists. Yeah. That's so so where again can we catch this documentary? Well, it has two showings coming up uh, uh, in December, and then there are going to be some more showings planned in 2023. And you can find out when they're going to happen if you go to Hal's website, which is uh, hjacobscreative.com. Are they going to do a screening at Northside itself? They, you know, uh, the screenings are happening at the plaza, which is set up to be a movie theater. Um, I don't know. There will be some events at Northside that will be celebrating their 50th. And I, I guess we mentioned the fact that it's been 50 years since 1972 when Butler uh, Webb bought this building, which used to be a gas station and a pool hall. So there will be events at the Northside. But for the movie itself, uh, you're going to go to the plaza, which itself is a treasure of Atlanta history. Right there. All right. Yep. And you can get all these details uh, at uh, AJC.com. Uh, find Bo's story on Northside Tavern uh, and the documentary and uh, check it out in Sunday's Living and Art section. And moving on to uh, something else that, you know, some, some may remember fondly that has returned that is 99X. It, technically, the name has been around. Um, they were playing new music on a small signal called 98.9, but they decided to blow up Rock 100.5 and turn it back to 99X and play all the music from the 90s, the 80s and 90s that they played during its heyday. You know, all the Soul Asylum and Nirvana and, uh, you know, some 41 or whatever you heard back in the day. So it's, and they're going to bring back, right now they're just playing music, but they are planning to bring back some of the original um, people from right. the 90s. Uh, I know Axel Lowe has always been there. He never left, even at Rock 100.5. Right. And there's rumors that other folks might be coming back. Right. Yeah, yeah I know some of some of them have gone on to other things and probably won't be, but, you know. Um, yeah, in I, fact, yeah, Steve Craig, in fact, who was the midday guy, he, he's now the morning host at The River, which um, is basically, you know, the number one station in the market and killed Rock 100.5 in the ratings, which may be part of the reason why uh, Atlanta-based Cumulus decided to try and my nostalgia, basically. Yeah, yeah. Well, and people new, love new things. So, I mean, or new old things. 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 In this old. case, <laughs> in this case, yeah, yeah, the 90s is now considered oldies. So, right. this is the classic oh, oldies. Scary. How does like that the... make you feel, Shane? <laughs> old. <laughs> there are some of us that still listen to the radio. I love turning the radio on. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is, a gen, this is a play for the old Gen Xers, yep, who, yeah. who, who may want to switch off Spotify and listen to their olds, you know, whoever... Shows up besides Axel. <laughs> Again, I haven't had any confirmation. <laughs> Who else may be there? Maybe Barnes might pop up. I don't know. Yeah, Let's see if they can resurrect you yeah, know, Barnes, it's, Leslie, it's, and Jimmy. It's just funny how how you know I've noticed on on social media since the announcement that they were doing this. People are so excited. I guess people my age, probably the people yes. I know, they're they're so excited about it. Like, yeah. I mean, it was, it was a consequential station back in the it 90s. It was. Yeah, it was a big deal for a time. And then it faded out when the music changed and they couldn't quite decide what to do in the 2000s, you know. Yeah. Um, you know, with all the Papa Roach stuff coming on, they, they couldn't decide whether they should gear to younger or try and stick to the folks who like the 80s and 90s stuff. And right. it ended up not working out and they and it and the station kind of died. And, you know, Dave FM took the older audience for a while and, you know, Rock 100.5 
went younger with and there was project there was a bunch of other stations now everybody listens to spotify so i don't know what's going on with the rock market right at this point yeah i mean it's amazing how people are still really invested in radio i mean you posted it's a this brand. story yeah this story was uh, i mean it was one of our top stories on on yeah, for a couple uh, days. Yeah. because people are just fascinated by it yeah I, it's it seems like more people are reading about it than actually listening yeah we'll, we'll to see it. <laughs> Do you think it's like an artifact for this generation, like like vinyl is? Yeah, possibly. Uh, that 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 actually the younger generation picked up vinyl too. I right, mean, I, that's what I mean. Yeah, uh, I don't I know. Mean, if you, I don't, I'm curious to see whether you, you know, will 25 year old care about 99X? I don't know. We'll see. Um, I mean, yeah, I still care just because it brings back, you know, warm feelings. But will that sustain itself over a long period of time? I don't know. We'll yeah. Hmm. Well. That's cool. Uh, 99X is back. Uh, not that it actually went anywhere, but uh, it's it's going to get uh, a little more um, power, I guess, is uh, the way to go. Um, but something else is ending. Um, HLN. Which was originally CNN Headline News. It started in 1982. It was like Turner's, like secondary station i think he had heard i think he had heard that somebody was trying to do something where they were going to just cycle news every 30 minutes and back in the early 80s before the internet where were we going to get news you know immediately so this was a way for people to pick up what whatever's happening um and for a while that worked and the internet came along they tried to rejigger h you know became hln and they they did a lot of true crime stuff for a while you know with nancy grace i think was their calling card and then she left in 2016, and they kind of flailed about, and they decided to just run endless amounts of forensic files. But Robin Mead, their morning host, was really popular. She started in 2001, and she basically was the last vestige of kind of the original HLN. Right. Um, and uh, they kept her around, and then they got new management. I mean, Discovery bought out Warner Brothers. They're looking to cut costs. And bye-bye uh, Robin Mead. <laughs> so that's yeah. it. And they're all based out of Atlanta. So you know, Atlanta lost at least 75 jobs alone from HLN, unfortunately. You know, producers, um, editors, on air. Yeah, it's kind of yeah. sad. Well, it had been moving in the direction of New York anyway, right? Well, HLN is, was the exception. They kept it. Yep. You know, they had brought everybody back in 2018 to Atlanta just for HLN. Yeah, from a lot of CNN's operations had moved up to New York, at least yeah. the power positions, all the you know Don Lemons of the world, they're up in New York. Mm -hmm. um, and they're eventually going to move out of CNN Center because they sold CNN Center, Warner Brothers, um, before, uh, you know, not Warner Brothers, um, Time Warner sold or AT&T, and we keep getting the ownerships here. AT&T sold CNN Center, so they're moving all the staff over next year to the Midtown campus. Right. Who, you know, who's left at CNN. Yeah. Hmm. Well, it's kind of the end of an era, it I is. guess. Yep. Well, um, well, some things relocating and some things uh, get some good news. Uh, Lagaya, tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, I mean, well, Bo had mentioned MJQ earlier when we were talking about Northside. And so I would say this is kind of sort of happy news that, that we get to talk about here because we've been um, talking about a couple, you know, the businesses along Ponce that have been really, um, their future has been uncertain since the summer we've been, you know, reporting, been on this story. And so we got an announcement from MJQ that they're going to be relocating. But, you know, the question was, were they going to 
for these businesses is going to survive. And so, um, yeah, the owners have said that they are going to relocate. I appreciate the official statement, and the owners are uh, Ryan Murphy and Ryan Purcell. Here's a quote. Atlanta is not slowing down, and as much as we want to stay where we are, the cranes and condos keep coming. I mean, right? <laughs> <laughs> I guess the folks at Northside can understand that, too. Oh, yeah. Um, but, but so they said, we received an overwhelming outcry from the rumors of MJQ closing. Hearing and reading the stories and seeing people smile when they replay all those nights on Ponds has strengthened our resolve to keep the party going. We will not give up. So they do plan on relocating that supposedly um, the announcement is going to come soon on where, but they haven't said what the location is going to be. But man, In- that's such a specific space, that little basement space. They can't replicate that. It's it is, weird. Yeah. It is one of the oddest spaces ever. Yeah. yeah we'll, miss that. We'll, we'll see about that. They are having a final countdown party. That really is what they're calling it. Um, and it is December 31st from 10. That Europe song. Should we play that? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, from 10 in the evening until three in the morning. So the final countdown for wow. MJQ. Yeah. It's like, it, it, as Rodney said, there's just no matter what they do, I can't imagine being able to replicate that space. It's one of the oddest clubs ever underneath a parking It's lot. like a happy little dungeon. It well, wait, I really like that you said, you know, the space. How do you replicate the space? Because if we want to talk for a second now about Righteous Room, what we learned is that Righteous Room, right their lease has been the renewed. Uh, not Terra. It's the Plaza, excuse me. That's right. Plaza on Ponds. So they just announced that their, their lease has been renewed. It's extended through February of 2030. And so initially, I think it was supposed to, it was set initially to expire on February 2025, but they're trying to be, you know, take a little bit of um, proactive um, steps mm-hmm. here to secure. And uh, of the three owners, the quote that we have in a press release from partner Kelly Hart, who, by the way, worked there in college and she's now partner, or he's now partner, um, over all the years, keeping Ponce true to itself, it's key to the identity of Atlanta. The righteous room isn't the righteous room without being right here. Yeah. So. That's true. They feel that way. I'm sure that the folks at MJQ do, but um, I guess we'll see where, what space they choose for that one. Yeah. So anyway, like, you know, like, they're not biting the dust. Yeah. Well, it's good that, that Righteous Room has that, especially because, as Rodney says, it's right next to the plaza, which also has a, a long extended- 25-year yeah. lease. Um, so at least we know that that neither of those are going anywhere anytime well, soon. I, I do find this to be interesting. It's not my beat to, um, in the sense of taking a deeper dive. I'd love to un, um, take a little bit more of a look at this. But um, all of this was done um, in partnership with a broker named Brooke Rashid, who apparently helped to like, you know, finalize the early lease renewal with Asana Partners, who own the Plaza on Pont. But I guess this person is sort of trying to leverage brokerage as a preservation tool for cultural icons like this. So yeah, which is interesting. I wonder if we'll see some more, you know, kind of thing where somebody's stepping in to try to help. Well, you know, the uh, uh, fellow, one of the developers on the West Midtown sort of um, uh, quote unquote, uh, Chris Fosmine, part of that Star Metals uh, thing that surrounds uh, the North Side. He talked to Ellen Webb when he was talking about creating one of these developments, and he said, "This is what I'm going to do." And 
I really want you to stay here because the north side is the reason that I like this neighborhood. He sees it as a, a selling point for the people that live there. And Tommy Webb, who runs Northside now, says uh, he doesn't mind the condos coming up because for every condo complex that he sees, that's 400 more customers for the north side. <laughs> that's great. Well, maybe these folks can help Starbar too. That <laughs> they would should, be good. They should, they should check into that. And I like the local. What's going to happen to them? <laughs> <laughs> mm, there's there's so many possibilities oh, that, that you know if we can preserve as much of of um atlanta as as possible it's something we didn't do for a long time but maybe there seems to be maybe there's a a, a bright side to this there's that, a lesson that, to be learned here. yeah that, that that we're starting to to learn at least this is go atlanta from the atlanta journal constitution we're back on Go Atlanta from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. And uh, next up, we're going to talk about some of what's new, what we've been doing. And Lagaya has a review of uh, three very different places under one roof. Yeah, we teased to this in last week's podcast. So now I'll give the full review of Full Commission pop-ups. So Full Commission is down in Grant Park across the street from Oakland Cemetery. And um, during the pandemic, the owner basic David Traxler, I need to get shout out to him because he doing this, I, I mean, he kind of is taking a risk. Ultimately, what he did early in the pandemic opened his restaurant to pop ups. And that has really kept his operation afloat. And the cool thing is when you open your restaurant, you are also enabling pop ups, which are, you know, nomadic, transient, a place where people can, you know, connect with the pop up operator, right? It just makes it a little bit easier. Well, he's gone a step further and given these guys pretty consistent, you know, absolutely consistent hours. But there are three different concepts that are working together. And he said they're doing a terrific job kind of communicating with one another. And so we have three concepts there. And I haven't really done this before, but it seemed to make sense to review all three of them because any given day, except for Wednesdays when none of these guys are operating, you can go to full commission and try food from one of the pop-ups. So there's three of them. One is called So-So Fed. One is called called Brave Wojtek, and I know, uh, Shane, you adore that Polish concept. And the other one is Mighty Hans. So 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 Fed is run by um, a woman named Molly Vora—I don't want to butcher her name, uh, Vorautsadi, and this is Laotian food. It's just all in all terrific, and I really do mention in the review that if there is a restaurant. If you keep a list of places that you want to check out, this has to be on your list. Absolutely, 100% go. I love, love, love the funk of papaya salad. Mm. Super terrific. There's two levels of heat. The spicy is truly no joke. So watch <laughs> out. <laughs> the treatment of proteins is exquisite. And I mean, I can talk from pork to chicken, which I've had both as like a fried chicken and also braised thigh, the meatballs. And I'm saying these in terms of like Americans, we know, or, you know, these are very, very approachable dishes. And of right. course, you're going to to taste some of these Laotian flavors, which is going to be funky. It's going to be like a little bit um, sour, punchy, chili laden, beautiful. So I'm going to move on. That one is so, so fed. Brave Wojtek. I mean, this is where we don't have very many places we can go to get pierogi. No. No. That's true. 
I'm not going to say it's the best pierogi that I've tasted, but considering we have like <laughs> no choices, yeah. um, it's fun. And what's especially fun, so um, is, and you can get him, you find him in the evening, but also on um, a weekend brunch. Yep. And the weekend brunch is pretty fun, but the way that you would order toppings for the pierogi is like a Waffle House style. So yeah. they come smothered, covered, capped, like the whole, and then of course all the way. So check that out. And then the last one is called Mighty Hans, and that's Taiwanese American, and you're going to find that um, breakfast at full commission he the the fellow fumao son is also doing dinner at uh gigi's italian kitchen in candler park so he's going to two places but um i'm going to give a shout out to the absolutely rich custard toast breakfast sandwiches put a check mark next to the sausage patty egg and melted cheese it's on it's on a milk bun outstanding so yeah there's i mean he does a terrific job of sort of interweaving taiwanese flavors with i would say dishes that are familiar to an american audience but it makes it look like they should have been together all along yeah that's awesome. great yeah okay so that's what i got for you so that it. is um it's on memorial drive right full commission yeah so 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 fed Brave Wojtek and Mighty Hans. There you go. Uh, all under one roof. Yes. Um, so you can try a bunch of different things. And, and I love that. And also, these guys are so fun because pop-up menus are generally brief and they are here. Um, but they rotate things in and off of their menu. I wasn't able to try Molly's jerky, which everybody keeps talking about. And I went multiple times, but they just didn't have it. So, of course, I have to go back to so fed again. <laughs> but the point is, with things rotating in and out, it can be fun to, you know, return. Sure. Yeah. I just got to ask, um, the so-so-fed sounds to me like it's a uh, a reference to uh, Jermaine Dupri. Yep. I, I'm pretty and sure so, that so that's, deaf records. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that that's uh, the case. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Yeah. And even I think I think if I recall correctly, there some of like their logos and things like that sort of mimic um, so so deaf as well. All right, that's good. Yeah. So another Atlanta institution. Exactly. So, um, and uh, of course, uh, it wouldn't be another week on the podcast without something closing. Yeah, but then we're gonna follow with something opening. Good. Okay. okay. So. I think it was last week when I mentioned that Delia's Chicken Sausage Stand on uh, Moreland Drive in East Atlanta had closed. And now we learned that um, Camelli's Pizza, which is also on Moreland, but that's in Little Five Points, is closing. So its last day of service is December 11th. That's this coming Sunday. That's been around for more than 25 years. Wow. I know. So, And then the other one that closed is Wonder Kid on Memorial Drive, too. That opened in the Atlanta Dairies in, uh, I guess, late 2019. And actually, it was so... Have you guys gone to Wonder Kid? No, I've seen pictures. It looks really cool. It was so fun. I remember reviewing it. Actually, Justin Dixon was there, and he now has Humble Mumble, the sandwich shop that's inside Coda in West Midtown, um, the, the, in Midtown. His menu is so fun. It's just like a sort of like retro diner. They, and it's the from the same guys who have Bonton and the Lawrence. Uh, Eric Simpkins and Darren Carr. And so, yeah, it just um, it just kind of went 
don't know. Um, but yeah, it's it's closed. And they say they're actually going to focus on um, their other concepts. And they're going to be opening a cocktail bar um, called The Waiting Room Above Aunt Bonton at the end of December is what we're hearing. Oh, yeah, so, yeah. I've heard about that. So, I love Bonton. I know. When one <laughs> closes, another door yeah. opens. Um, and then lastly... Here, I know you are excited about this, Shane. <laughs> yes. Um, burger chain, what a burger! It opened at the end of November, and we haven't been able to talk about it. It's in Kennesaw, and I guess people are just—they just love their what a burger. Yeah, it's well, it's one of those things like you know, in where's it originally or, from? Yeah, uh, Texas. Oh, uh, they're, they're yeah, they're actually, based in San Antonio. No, they're based in Corpus Christi, I believe, aren't they? No, guys, they're maybe based they in were San founded. Antonio. See, that's what I had thought originally. San Antonio, I don't know originally, I looked, but I think now that they're based in San Antonio. Yeah. Okay, weirdly, so weirdly, I saw Corpus Christi. We can somewhere. both be correct in saying Texas. They're they're not far apart. You can drive from one to the other in about three hours. They so, have nine hundred restaurants. Yeah. Around the in in fourteen states, but this is their first one for Metro Atlanta, and they do chose you, Kennesaw. Go figure. I know they chose Kennesaw, but do you know that it was so highly anticipated an opening that the Cobb County Sheriff's Department and private security is managing traffic during this opening period? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh! So they actually have the double drive-through lanes, and apparently the interior um, has a mural that features Atlanta landmarks. Although it's in Kennesaw, so I don't know about that. And then, but they do plan to open ten more Atlanta area restaurants next year, and more than fifty over the next seven years. Wow! I know. Well, that's good. Maybe there'll be one really close to me. I have I've looked at the list, and I I, I already know where the closest one is going to be. Um, so okay, so <laughs> that will be in Snellville. Um, if you want Whataburger or want to know what. Is a Whataburger? I guess yeah. <laughs> head up to Kennesaw. Yeah, it's it's it, it, you know anybody who is uh, well because they're in states around us. There's some in Tennessee, I believe. There's some in Florida, so it's all over the place. But of course, there are tons of them in Texas. Um, and I mean, it's just it's fast food. It's a burger, but it's just a cut above most of the others. So yeah, I love them. I love it. So happy to have Whataburger here. and uh, Welcome, Whataburger. Keep, keep an eye out for uh, more of those coming in 2023. But let's hope that they don't take over the Northside Tavern <laughs> location. <laughs> no. no. Those, those things don't tend to come into in town, unfortunately. But anyway, um, moving on to something else uh, completely different. Debbie Gibson. Yes, uh, she is going to uh, be at Center Stage on December 11th celebrating Christmas. Uh, she released her very first Christmas album 35 years after Only In My Dreams came out. Um, it's called Winterlicious, and um, I spoke with her by Zoom, and she talked about her show. The general idea is it's not the Body Remembers Tour, which was very kind of rock and roll. That was a different feeling. This is very much like cozy and you know everything i love about the holidays are like those andy williams specials and the so do you even have a set that. design set up that with with like a fake well uh, you know we're not traveling with our own set these days oh, like gotcha you know it's not like a 50 city live nation tour so that's true yeah yeah so it's like whatever can you know hitch to the rv is coming but <laughs> like we want to do something i don't want to give too much away sure absolutely we're gonna do like a, a really like twas the night before Christmas feeling to one of, I like doing sections of shows. And there is gonna be a section of the show that feels like, you know, me and my team on stage are kind of like 
in that night before Christmas moment where it's warm and cozy, we might be wearing jammies um, and doing like easy breezy versions of some of my hits and some of the songs of the album where it feels like break out the s'mores, everybody, it's holiday time. Like, and you know, I, I, I think there's gonna be a feeling to this that's super festive and dare I say almost theme park, that's good old fashioned song and dance like musical numbers and mixed with the super intimate what does the holiday mean to everybody and what does and and again that connection and that communing because these venues are smaller like they were on my summer tour it lends itself to being able to really commune with the audience so uh it's going to range from the literal bells and whistles as in sleigh bells to the choreography but down to the super intimate and cozy yeah and she also talked quite a bit about her mom who died earlier this year. My mom kicked that door down with brute force. And some people liked that and some people didn't, but like it or not, she did that. And she did it for me and she did it for all those young girls doing it now. And she did it for all those music fans that get to enjoy that young talent. Yeah, and, I think Foolish uh, Beat is still the youngest uh, female written number one song. Is that still the case at this yes, point? Yes, yes. I'm the Insane. youngest female in music history to have written, produced, and performed a number one song. And then I like topped my own record with Lost in Your Eyes the following year, <laughs> which nice. is insane to me. I giggle because I go, wow, like I would like to, I always say I'd like to help mentor the the next female, the next young girl who does that. Her mom was her, her manager and basically right. helped her career get going. She was only 17 when she started yeah. um, and, and became a big star. Yeah, It's amazing. It's like she's sort of like a precursor to Taylor Swift, I guess, in some ways, because she did write her own yeah, stuff. Yeah, she did, and... yeah, to Olivia Rodrigo. It's, it's funny, she told me she had been to the, she went to the Billy Joel concert a few months ago when Olivia Rodrigo um, showed up and she was like sitting right near Olivia, but she just, she decided not to actually talk to her. She has never talked to Olivia Rodrigo or Billie Eilish or Lord or any of these folks. Right. Um, but she is a precursor to all of them. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. So for, uh, those who, uh, love nostalgia and, uh, and great pop, uh, Debbie Gibson's coming to town and you can read, uh, that interview, uh, that Rodney did uh, on AJC.com. Coming up this weekend, Go Guide, uh, our cover is spotlighting two upcoming shows that are celebrating REM's debut EP, Chronic Town, uh, came out 40 years ago, which kind of frightens me because I remember it so well. Uh, <laughs> and uh, we're, we've talked to uh, Rich Robinson of the Black Crows, who, along with his brother Chris, they're headlining the show. But they'll bring in some big talent. Darius Rucker is there, Fred Armisen, Mitch Easter, Cat Power, Lenny Kay, Kevin Kenny, the Pylon Reenactment Society, and Elf Power are all on hand. Uh, they'll be playing some REM songs. And uh, David Cross, uh, the comedian who is from Atlanta originally, uh, he's going to be the host. And we've already told you about what this week's Sunday Living and Arts section is all about with Bo's story on Northside Tavern. But we'll also have a look at the rise in Christian nationalism and some of the season's best coffee table books. Now it's time for the Pet of the Week. Morgan, who is also known as Panda, is a professional cuddler and belly rub aficionado. Sometimes he gets so into it he slides right off the couch. In his spare time, he loves eating treats, especially chewy ones, chasing balls in the yard, and going for walks. He's around three years old, 
a little over 50 pounds, and has taken to house and crate training like a pro. His best friend, Wimba, wishes she had a bigger mouth so she could carry around all of her toys at once. She loves anything that bounces. She'll chase it, chew it, or just carry it around with her all day long. She's a happy girl whose tail almost never stops wagging. She loves people and belly rubs, and she's just under 60 pounds and also house and crate train. This bonded pair would love to find their new family together and fill your days with playful and joyful antics. Stop by Fulton County Animal Services at 860 Marietta Boulevard in Atlanta for a visit or email adoptions at fultoncountyanimalservices.com. You'll find a photo of Morgan and Wimba and a link to their shelter profiles on the story page for this podcast at AJC.com. Thanks for listening to Go Atlanta. We release new episodes every Thursday morning to keep you in the loop of all the great things Atlanta has to offer, whether it involves planning an outing or just giving you something to talk about with friends and family. So be sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. For more things to do in and around Atlanta, go to AJC.com. Thanks as always to Rodney Ho. I'm lost in your eye, Shane. <laughs> and to LaGaia Figueres. I'll see you guys at the Diviest Dive Bar in Atlanta. And thanks to our special guest, Bo Emerson. Thanks a bunch, and I'll be there with you. I'm Shane Harrison. Thanks for listening to our brand new podcast, and we'll talk to you again next week for more ways to go Atlanta.